Hi everyone. Um, just before this episode starts, we wanted to let you know that things are going to be a bit different on this one. Yeah, so what we did uh, for this one is we got two different student activists, uh, Lainey Verku and Kleenani Guffey, to just talk about their work. But it's sort of like two separate half episodes put together. Um, they were the first ones we did kind of back in July. So if things are a bit out of date, that's why. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they're both really great. And uh, yeah, so just have a listen. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Warwick Evening. I'm Emily O'Connell. And this is In Of Manoa Lesbian Plus podcast. So on today we have Elena Niverku, who's a Trinity student who's been involved in socialist journalism and activism. So welcome on the show, Elena. Uh, do you want to just talk a bit about yourself and your background? Hello. So I'm Elena. I'm a commie dyke. I do medicine in Trinity. Um, I'm actually in my fourth year. Um, I got involved in um, an anti-capitalist publication. Why I wanted to work on this anti-capitalist publication was because like we feel that college is a very it's a bubble but not the bubble that you know conservatives would say it's a bubble of neoliberal hegemony of like capitalist logic and ideology and we wanted to you know challenge that um, and I was really inspired by the work of Antonio Gramsci who talks about like how not only do you have to win you know on the economic front with trade unionism and bring people together to that you also have to take well like he calls them ideological elements like ideas and unify them into a um, comprehensive worldview that makes sense also the fact that action doesn't happen by itself it's not just making like twitter threads about it (laughs) yeah which has become really common i found amongst like dublin activism anyway activism in mm. do you know what I mean? There's a lot of people who are very active on Twitter, but they're not very active like on the ground and it's just like you're not really winning people over that way. Like I won't completely slag off right off online activism because I think for some people and by this I mean the disabled community who you know, they have to use the internet to get the message out and for like for most of us the internet is quite alienating. Yeah. Just because of the nature of social media it's designed to like you know hook into our dopamine circuits but for disabled activists it's often the only way they can communicate with other people like them and spread awareness so I like there's a lot to be said for it in a global sense as well of like global activism yeah, and like making yeah. like coherent movements across different places yeah but of course if you can do things you need to get out you should <laughs> I was involved in uh, Take Back Trinity, which was, it happened last year, it was fantastic. Basically, um, our college tried to introduce a 450 euro um, exam repeat fee. And this absolutely outraged people because obviously, who fails exams? People who have jobs, people who don't come from stable homes. And it just seemed like another way the college was trying to milk money out of us. And we had enough. And there was already a group of like core radicals who are always pushing, always pushing like the more liberal SU into doing, you know, not only like occupying the dining hall, but staying in the dining hall that extra night, Um, which in the end made all the difference. We occupied the dining hall for two nights. Um, I was in the second night when everything went down. They got in security. They locked the doors. They blocked us out from the bathroom. Um, we didn't know what was going on. We were, uh, there was like, there was actually like fear. They were having a massive town hall meeting. I remember I was in the other room and we were like watching the doors. And I just remember one of my comrades beside me like shaking because they thought like, are the guards going to come in and they're going to beat us? Like, have they got the actual guards in? But thank God, actually, we got the message out on social media and other students came out and they like, chanted in the rain for you know us to be like allowed back access to the bathroom which thank god once we got that you don't know how many people just legged it um and they occupied the exam hall and like the solidarity and reaction to that was what actually like made that movement successful yeah yeah and it's, it's a it's a great example of like over the last couple of years of like successful direct action. Yeah, and mm. as well successful like using social media for good, like for yeah. that solidarity purposes yeah. as well. 
Oh, like yeah. I, like we're obviously in UCD, but I remember being like following it on all night while it was on, all that type of yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Really, like, it really caught we on. We were really mad quickly. jealous, like yeah. <laughs> it was probably one of the best experiences of my life, and like so much work went into that. There was like twenty hours of meeting and like hand signals and the radicals in one corner and the liberals and one would always want to escalate and the other would always want to de-escalate and they'd be like oh we need to reason with them and we'd be like no we need to hit them where they care about their profit and their reputation and we did we hit them with the reputation with the dining hall we also uh blockaded the book of kells multiple times to cut off their revenue source because mm. that's a huge revenue source for them so we hit them in the pockets so we hit them with the reputation and that's how we won and like at the time there's a lot of arguing and you know a lot of tenseness but like about a year, like it's been a year now and like I'm seeing Kevin Keane on Twitter say he learned a lot from PVP activists in the dining hall about like environment and you know, to go green, you really do need to go red. And like, that's shocking. Him agreeing with us, like go back and tell me that in the dining hall. Actually, do you, do you want to just on that note, do you want to talk about how you got involved in PVP? On campus oh yeah, like yeah. So how I became a socialist is Trinity PVP share the room with Trinity Cusack. I was involved in Trinity Cusack because, you know, I wanted, I'm a lesbian, I wanted to meet, you know, other gay people, but um, I found the politics kind of shallow there. One night... Um, I often find that true for a lot of, like, um, queer university societies. Yeah. Yeah, I found that politics was very shallow. It was very non-orientated towards, um, like, people's actual material reality. And a lot of things were considered, you know, too controversial to talk about. Like, um, I remember getting silenced for talking about Israel-Palestine, um, which mm. I thought was, like, shocking. Yeah, it's and kind like, of... Oh, sorry, sorry just like when a lot of LGBT spaces are like, let's not be political. And it's like, being LGBT is almost, like, inherently political. Like, you know, and you can't just ignore every other issue, you know? Yeah. And, like... I. In Trinity, only the political societies allow to be political. Everyone else has to be apolitical, mm. according to the Central Societies Committee. But that doesn't mean you have to silence people from discussing politics in your room. Crazy. But basically, one night, um, I think it was after one of the repeal marches, I went back up there with some people um, from Trinity QSOC. And we were, uh, you know, sipping some cans. And... Um, and the president, the auditor of the Socialist Society at the time, and the auditor of the uh, QSOC at the time, got into an argument about socialism versus capitalism. Um, well, more like socialism versus liberalism. And I got really involved in the argument. And the next day, yeah, I joined PVP. I got like the next day I went to a meeting under direct provision I got really involved in like various um anti-racist um working class struggles off from that you know hearing that you know drunken argument in the shared room um because would you have considered yourself to have like socialist beliefs and leanings before that anyway I think none of my beliefs were coherent but I did have a lot of problems with like I have a lot of empathy and I had problems with like how the city had gone from you know a place where like I knew every the I knew every homeless person to see to just so many people on the streets and just like so much suffering um, and I think I used to like internalize um, all the like environmental factors that have affected me over my life like problems with you know accessing healthcare and ableism and homophobia and like it was kind of true Marxism I kind of understood okay these are all structures and you know I don't have to you know buy into them like I can like I don't have to emotionally buy into them I can just walk on dismantling them um, and I really understood that you know LGBT liberation is not isn't going to come under a capitalist society because no and that's the biggest the biggest mistake the movement's probably made was the the assimilation route that it went down mm. Mm. and like it's absolutely intolerable i remember leaving pride last year because we were made wait at the all the political people are made wait at the back standing watching all the corporations go by and i'm no divergent i went into sensory overload and had to leave and it's just this is so different from 
you know, um, the original pride that came after the protest march um, against the verdict on Declan Flynn's death, who was a gay man who was murdered in Fairview Park. Like, standing there with the political people and um, Brazilian left front and, you know, all the marginalised groups just being ignored in favour of these, like, big floats and just knowing that I had gay friends who couldn't get the day off work and there were straight people, you know, going, oh, I love Pride here, like... Yeah. And it's it's so sad. It's so sad and it's so sick that it's all, it's actually hard to compress into words sometimes how just like hypocritical and like ironic the whole thing has become. It's yeah. just like I suppose like I'd kind of take the stance in like that there's a place for powerful companies to show their support, but it's when they're drowning out the people who are actually affected by discrimination, homophobia, transphobia. Like it's like I kind of think it's there's nothing really harmful about them like putting up rainbow flags showing that they're supportive but it's when they're literally like dominating the parade and like look at our big float instead of like 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 look how woke Facebook is compared instead of being like we should actually help people who are suffering you know yeah. that's kind of where it gets a bit like repulsive for me as well when basically when they're using us to sell things um like our experiences to sell things like really freaks me out mm. or like bracker posing for photos and it's like LGBT asylum seekers you know have to prove they get like prove that like lesbians in the global south get discriminated against like this like fake wokeness um, and just like the photo opping and it's just disgusting and I know that we'll Vra- never Vra- have... Vradker is a great like a representation of that I think mm. yeah um, definitely our government has bought drones from Israel which um, outs Palestinian activists, uh, LGBT Palestinian activists, to their families as a form of silencing them, and then they go and like use gays as like, look, Israel's great, yeah. like oh. that kind of using our lives. Do you think your activism and your socialism is tied to your experience with the LGBT identity? And yeah, definitely, because like I will never be a nuclear family. I'm also like um, disabled, so I can't like be you know the ultra productive worker bee that you know capitalism expects me to be and like I think the nuclear family as it's become has become like people are so isolated in their families like if LGBT people get thrown out you know where do they go or like abuse and all that kind of thing and it's just I don't think assimilation to form this kind of like weird mirror image to perform that is worth it and, and I honestly th- I think as tried as, as as hard as people have tried to make that work I don't think it's worked either like I think a lot of like like the gay movement has really tried to assimilate and I just don't think it's gone anywhere really like we obviously we got marriage the, the marriage equality thing and I'm not saying that wasn't good but like other than that what, what, what it's turned into is rainbow capitalism and all this different type of stuff yeah. like yeah. we're not yeah like wow you can be a gay police officer you too can you know join the police and oppress minorities and you know discriminate against migrants (laughs) (laughs) it it is really it's grim and it's depressing for those of us who like care about the most marginalized about refugees about sex worker activism and decriminalization about like fighting for you know decent housing decent living conditions and all the things that are denied from us increasingly as more and more wealth is concentrated upwards and more and more people unfortunately live in poverty um i have mentioned that i'm in ppp i was Uh, gonna ask actually do you think your experience like you've experienced maybe socialist movements and activism different because you're a lesbian or maybe in certain areas and not in others or um I kind of feel like within my party that it has never been an issue in that there are many gay and trans people and bi people and then like there's as many male and female leaders and like there's non-binary people and I just kind of feel like that and my disability have never been an issue and I re- like so stuff that I would find that would be a you know a roadblock other places um, which is really good. We mainly do United Front workers. Um, so what is what is United Front? So United Front is where um, 
you walk with different groups who may not have the same ideology as you, actually don't have the same ideology as you to um, achieve a goal. So you could consider the coalition to repeal the eighth United Front because it was a group of loads of people. Um, different parties, maybe not in parties, just different. Yeah, groups, different like. But with one goal that they have yeah. in common. I suppose one thing I wanted to ask as well is one criticism I heard of the Take Back Trinity movement was that it became very like male dominated and did you find that as well like especially as a woman yeah definitely I felt that women were doing all of the nitty-gritty they were doing all the organizing um and certain women like were taking on way too much and burning themselves out I remember one particular disabled activist who did so much work and then the moment we got there she slept like in the middle of the day um and I actually did write an article on this and I but identify the problem in that they wanted it as a non-hierarchical thing. But what happened mm. with, which were kind of a lot of the time happens, I find with non-hierarchical organizations is that an unelected, unaccountable because it's unelected um, hierarchy based on social capital forms. And so the people who, you know, put themselves for, forward to speak are the people, you know, who you know, have backgrounds that led into public speaking, say private yeah. school or debating. Or tend maybe to they're male. comfortable because they know a lot of people who are there. Mm. Yeah. Like you said, social capital kind of stuff. Yeah. So so it kind of became that like women were doing a lot of the work and like men were doing a lot of the talking. And I Which just, is very, very common. Yeah. Um like Laura Beston did a load of stuff, like um who is a Con SU president, I think it really proved to me that it's almost better to have, you know, people elected to do things that you can then recall and hold accountable than to have this kind of mismatch where, like, women are doing all the dirty work. And I don't know if I explained that. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. No, I yeah. That, like, mean. if there's no set hierarchy that an unofficial one forms and it just means that you can't even call it out because... Yeah, yeah um, and like, what I talked about was that because you're not like actually voting you're not actually thinking about you know your own internal prejudices so mm-hmm. say if you were voting you'd be like okay so I'm not you know I'll actually go for women or you know I won't just go for the white dude yeah and um, whereas because that's the thing I feel there's, there's obviously negative connotations with the word hierarchy but also like if you're going to organize and you're going to be productive there needs to be a system in place for that to happen yeah I think hierarchy is fine as long as it's accountable mm. yeah and it is very difficult in the environmental movement they're quite almost hostile to any kind of politics they kind of see the environment as above right and above left and it's just a complete disconnect with what is actually causing the environment it's a metabolic rift that capitalism has made with the earth and just that massive uh, reallocation of resources is needed to, you know, protect um, those most affected. If it's not accessible to the poor and the disabled, then it is not radical. And people who label themselves as radical often really, really aren't. And do you think that's why, um, like, say, PVP and other what you would consider radical groups have higher LGBT involvement? Um. Yeah, I think because we are a marginalized group, we get inv- we get involved in like trying to understand power structures early, and like true organizing, just like just true even LGBT organi- um organizations, you start to understand like how people get marginalized, and then your consciousness kind of grows from there, and you may develop class consciousness yeah. and like understanding, you know, how racism or something like that works and how it plays in. And then it's about like generalizing that struggle then. You're like, okay, yeah, I'm gay and I'm fighting for gay rights. But like, I'm not free until like every, you know, gay black lesbian has, (laughs) you know, is completely free from oppression and can get asylum here in the house, you know? All these issues and all these identities do overlap. Yeah, 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 because I was going to ask as well, do you find that you're more aware because you have more intersecting identities like as a woman as a person with disabilities and as a LGBT person like do you think that having more of these identities overlapping gives you a different perspective to say maybe like 
a cis gay man who might only have one uh, area. Uh, oh Not God. to me, you know. Oh God, yeah. Like I'm so, I'm so aware of how interdependent we all are on each other and how like none of us are self-dependent. And then within disability activism, there's loads of gay women. I love my gay um, disabled women. I love my EDS lesbians. I know two couples who are uh, like four people with EDS who are lesbian couples. And it's just like, where's my bendy lesbian? (laughs) Uh, If there's a bendy lesbian out there, please get in touch. You know Street 66? Yeah, yeah. I remember going there with a friend and we got in the door and the bouncer came up to us and said, there's a disabled bathroom, but it's up that flight of stairs. We were like, it's not an accessible bathroom. Who thought that? Who thought that was a good idea? Or who thought that would work? Like, it's mad. Yeah. Like, I'm just a real reluctance to, you know, actually adapt places or they'll do the bare minimum it's like you can get in but you have to go around the back and split off from all your friends and you know be isolated and it's just kind of like I feel like if things were actually built to accommodate everyone and everyone's needs disability access would only like be one percent of the budget but it's because you go back because you haven't thought of disabled people and also everything's built for men have you noticed that like everything's (laughs) built from like men's average height I'm sick of climbing on counters sick of that yeah. Um, but yeah, one thing as well I wanted to ask was like a lot of movements kind of preach about being intersectional. Um, like I'm thinking particularly of like the abortion rights campaign recently had like an article where they were saying things about how, you know, that they felt it was worth making the sacrifice to leave out non-binary people and trans men from the discussion. And do you find that with your own experience with movements that it's sort of like they say the right words, but that when it comes down to it, if they're going to cut someone, they're going to cut vulnerable people within their movements people love to say radical and intersectionality and like oh big buzzwords mm. intersectionality is a big buzzword <laughs> I, I like i definitely think intersectionality is usually important like there's so many bad habits that need to be stamped out like the worst worst for like ableism in left not really left liberal movements is say like hashtag resistance twitter who'd be like Trump has arterial sclerosis, therefore he's not fit to be president. Look how mm. unhealthy he is. And it's like... Or the, the Theresa May being autistic thing. Mm. That was a big one. That was just, like, ridiculous. Yeah, and it's just, like, you, you, you know there's so many autistic people within movements. You're only hoarding... And it's like, can you attack them for the terrible politics, for the terrible choice? Like, Theresa May has overseed you know welfare reforms that have killed disabled people that have been a social cleansing and your insult for her is that oh she's disabled like i've got autistic friends in england you know who suffer under welfare reform like to, oh. yeah and autistic people are a great boon to the movement the red plan is run by two autistic people who just me and my co-editor who you know are driven by our special interests to write these like fantastic in-depth articles about these like specific interests like that's part of what drives me is like I'm very interested in this thing and like I think it's like neurodivergence is a slightly different way of seeing the world we would be you know more more able to speak than other people like there are a lot of people who are like you know who are non-verbal so much though non-verbal people do have internet blogs and you can actually talk to them uh, so yeah, so I'm supposed to finish on a lighter note. Um, are there any organisations that you think have been really good at making like effectively intersectional movements? Yeah, like Disabled Women for, Cha- for Choice was a fabulous group that boosted the voices of disabled people within the you know uh, movement for reproductive rights. They've now become Disabled Women Ireland, and we're currently like setting up policy and campaigns. Um, everything from like you know, trying to get free travel for people with epilepsy and, you know, trying to make sure that people who need straw still get access. And, like, I think that's fabulous that we have all these women with different disabilities, you know, working together any way that they can. Um, it's act- Like, I use quite a lot of hand gestures. So I remember being at um, one of the, you know, founding meetings and, you know, audio-descripting my hand gestures 
to our our blind comrades. We find ways to walk with each other. And like, it it is really heartening to see. There were also Merge, migrants for ethnic and migrants for... Oh, yeah, M-E-R-J. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. The last words are reproductive justice. I am so sorry to Merge. I cannot (laughs) remember what the E stands for. But, you know, they included migrants. Wonderful. Um, Organisations like Sex Workers, Union of Ireland. Or is it it Association of Ireland Sway. (laughs) Remembering all our acronyms. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Lena Nivorku. I am not good at acronyms. Um, But, like, they try and include, um, you know, the voices of migrants, which is fabulous. So I think there are groups out there who are definitely trying. Well, Queer Action Ireland, you know, all these groups. The one I've completely forgot to say, even though... I wear their badges all the time. Unite Against Racism, mm. um, you know, includes a lot of native Irish, includes a lot of immigrants, you know, fighting against direct provision, uh, fighting against racism and issues of discrimination in Ireland. And of course, you've talked about PBP. Yeah, like we've so many different people and I've just never felt that differences were any problem. That we all work together for like in different ways in community groups, but I can always reflect back for support or when I need, you know, help or how to do things. And just, I am with PPP because I support the United Front Method. I support, you know, empowering people to work together with other groups. You know, solidarity, true struggle and to, you know, make change that way. It's a fantastic time to live in Ireland um, in terms of, you know, the achievements we've had in the last couple of years. And I can only hope that, you know... That continues going forward. Obviously, we live in a very difficult time and it would be very easy to despair, but I think at this, you can't give in to despair. You have to keep walking and you have to... And a movement needs hope. And youth activism in Ireland is really just still going and pushing forward, so... Yeah. Yeah. Kind of I, keeping the momentum going from things like marriage equality and repeal. Um, I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so... Um, I suppose our lovely guest has been Lena Viverker. Thanks so much for coming on. I suppose as well, a shout out to our composer, Lone Adams, for writing our music. This has been um, In All But Not Lesbian Plus Podcast. I'm Orla Keevney. I'm Emily O'Connell. And thanks so much for listening. Hi, I'm Orla Keefley. I'm Emily O'Connell. And this is Inav Mana, a Lesbian Plus podcast. So today on the show, we have Cleana Niguffy, who is doing her master's in modern Irish with Maynooth and is also the incoming vice president for Irish with the Union of Students Ireland. So welcome to the show, Cleana. Steve Grimogov. So do you want to tell us a bit about yourself just to kick off then? Yeah. Uh, so as you said before, I'm the incoming VP for Irish uh, for USI. So I'll be starting that job in July. And I am also doing a master's in modern Irish in Maynooth. Um, so I, yeah, I really like Irish. <laughs> it's kind of one of the only discernible talents. I have uh, but I am from Louth originally uh, I never went to a Gaelic school I wasn't raised with Irish um, I learned all my Irish through English medium schools um, I suppose the way that I, I kind of got a grower for Gaelic was through I had really good teachers in school um, for the junior and the leave insert and then I went to the Gaelic talk after TY and fifth year um, and then my, my leave insert teacher was kind of the really, really the one that inspired me to, to do Irish so uh, shout out to Susie Wallace <laughs> um, um, thanks for getting me a job <laughs> um, but yeah so that's kind of my, my, my background with Irish yeah yeah um, yeah sounds great it's kind of similar to my own background in Irish yeah, um, yeah I never went to like Wales or anything like that but um, I also had a really cute Irish teacher so yeah. she helped me realise I was gay and loved Irish so um, <laughs> great great education we there great one so, yeah. <laughs> great intersections yeah so for me I just always associate Irish with gayness so that's great. kind of why we want to do this episode as well so um, nice yeah and then yeah, I, I just have always gone to gale schools so that's oh why. cool yeah. amazing um, yeah, yeah. but yeah because like, so. people always ask me they're like oh so like you know you must have been raised in Irish and that because I'm doing obviously I did my degree in it and I, I'm doing a master's in it now and uh, people are like, oh, like yeah you know you must have gone to gale school like you're you know you're a native speaker and I'm like no I was just I was insanely lucky with the teachers that I had in school um, and yeah like that going to the girl talking things like that and then when I got to um, Maynooth 
I did media studies in Irish as my degree and I joined the Irish Society in first year and I just fell in love with with, with, with Irish from there. That was kind of like, you know, my, I, you know, when you find your people, uh, that was, mm. that was the Irish side or the kulak for me um, in first year. So uh, a lot of my friends are, are new accountory actually. So like kind of like new speakers or, or new learners of it. So people that didn't, that weren't raised with Irish. Um, I suppose people that went to Gaelic schools and Gaelic kind of might take it for granted that they just okay they just kind of have have Irish whereas like I had to put in a lot of work to 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 improve my Irish you know in the Gaelic and even through school for the Leaving Cert as well we have a show in Gaelica um in our arts block and I spent most of my most of my three years of my degree in in that room I, either studying or just chatting to my friends and only for that I wouldn't have the level of Irish that I have now. Which is, it's, that's why it's so annoying when people come with the argument that Irish is dying language, nobody wants to learn it, um, like it's only being forced on people because it's not true because the people that are the most involved in it are people who've really gone out of their way and put a lot of time and effort into learning it and who really want to use it. Yeah, I'd, and I'd say to those people to go to a pop-up well talk. Go to, so they have these events, um, literally a pop-up well talk. So they're all in Dublin and they're actually, like it started off just in Dublin, you know, okay, we'll pick a random bar in Dublin last Thursday of the month we're going for drinks and we're going to speak Irish. And that was, there was no catch, no gimmicks, no nothing. You didn't have to pay anything. You didn't have to, you know, pass a test to be able to go. You can just show up to the pub and just go with your friends and speak Irish if you want to. Um, and that has spread internationally as well. They have yeah. them in, you know, I, I did a year abroad in Canada and, you know, they had them over there because there's so many Irish people living abroad as well that have Irish and they actually just can't use it because, okay, they're not living in a country where yeah. Irish is spoken. I um, actually went to one in um, Paris. Um, I was there. Uh, yeah, last summer. And cool. like I was meeting up with some of my friends or a friend of a friend because like I got stranded in Paris. It's like a long story. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I mean, if you're going to get stranded somewhere. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a whole like, other oh. podcast episode. Yeah, just yeah. So you're getting stranded in Paris. Um, but yeah, so then like I just um I messaged like a friend of like one of my friends from secondary school who was in Paris as well like on Erasmus and she was like I'm going to a pop-up Gwiltuk if you want to buff along so I <laughs> ended up spending my first night in France in like a pop-up Gwiltuk nice. and it was very surreal um but yeah like it just yeah. shows how popular it is yeah. there's loads of people at it exactly too, really. and I just say to those people like you know these are just a group of random people like that just get together and speak Irish and there's no like they're not forcing you to go like and literally all they do is they make an event on Facebook and they share it and then people know where to go like that's 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 all they do they don't you know take out ads to get people to go or whatever they kind of say you know they don't make money off it and it's open source as well so anyone can run a pop-up well anywhere like that's that's the, the the brilliance of it is that it's like it doesn't like it doesn't belong to anyone and mm. that's the kind of same with Irish in itself like it doesn't belong to anyone like okay I speak it but that doesn't mean I have the right to tell someone else oh well you don't have enough Irish to speak it so just don't bother coming like it's not that's not how it works like it is it's kind of, it is meant to be for everyone yeah I've uh, never I've never been to a pop-up girl talk but from what I've heard it's like really varying levels absolutely yeah go. yeah like and you know people will come up to you and start and say like oh look I'm really sorry like my 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 kind of level is not good and I'm like well you don't have to apologize to me like that's not like you're not you're not hurting me in any way or you're not like insulting me by not having Irish but and I do get like there are people that but do have this kind of this like snobbery about Irish usually it's men on Twitter (laughs) as per anything else usually it's men on Twitter (laughs) I was running the mother folklore Twitter account for a week there about a month or two actually after I got elected um, for USI and anything I did was questioned like because my Irish itself is very like Gaelic Scottish in that I use a lot of Irish and English words. I kind of you know I like co- I, I code switch. Oh a lot. yeah, our grammar is so loose. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. My, <laughs> my spoke- spelling, like <laughs> my written grammar is, you know, it's good, but my spoken grammar is horrendous. But oh. anyway, but yeah, like that. I was on the Twitter account and I was tweeting away, and I would I would kind of you know. Um, oh isn't this Gohintuk or something like that and that's just the Irish that I use like you know and that's what I'd use with my friends and someone replied because like oh look enough of the Gael Scullish I get enough I get enough of that in work and he was like oh you know ni far Gael Gabrishton so broken Irish isn't always better than clever English um, and I just said like well look that's my Irish like I'm not gonna change it you know for yeah. for, for one person out of 14,000 followers that on that account like but I suppose yeah like that's I suppose the downside of social media mm-hmm. that you have men um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the downside of existence is just men <laughs> um, but like uh, yeah I suppose but on the upside though it means that you can connect with other Irish speakers you know Absolutely. even if you're not living in a Gwaeltacht or whatever so I suppose you found that as well, that like social media is a great way to sort of keep the language alive kind of across yeah, geography. And yeah. Social media is probably one of the things that I'm most interested about Irish. So as I said, I'm doing a master's in Irish and my thesis is actually on 
how social media is used to kind of promote and, and preserve the language and also for people to learn it as well. Um, so I kind of transcribing interviews and things at the moment. So I put out a survey there. And I got over like 400 responses just from Twitter and from a couple of groups and stuff on Facebook. But um, so if people, you know, it is it is a great way for our speakers to kind of like meet and share ideas then as well. And, you know, I suppose whenever um, whenever Radio Nagoya Talk to was set up, uh, that was in the maybe 30s or 40s, I think. I'm not too sure of the year, but it was that was a way for. Irish speakers in the north and the south and the west to understand each other because before that they had never really heard each other speak so you know uh, uh, an Irish speaker from Kerry and an Irish speaker from you know Donegal wouldn't have been able to understand each other only for they are nearly like different languages sometimes oh absolutely yeah. but even like people say oh you know Donegal Irish is impossible Donegal English is fairly hard as well like to understand <laughs> you know it's the same as any language it's there's the same different dialects if you, different, if you get like yeah. a, a guy from Letterkenny and another guy from I don't know Mallow and get them to try and speak to each other. They're not going to understand each other. Now they they probably like they will like certain bits and pieces, but like not to the extent that you'd think that they would. Even to just Irish. The, like the slang and stuff like Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so Irish always get that bad rap um, for like oh, it'd be really hard to understand, but English is just as bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so social media is definitely it's probably one of the, one of the I wouldn't say it's one of the main reasons that Irish is still as as kind of alive and kicking I suppose um, but it is definitely a help um, I suppose I suppose it, more than anything else it's highlighting that mm-hmm. those people are still there whereas otherwise mm-hmm. there'd be no kind of um, way to promote it there'd be no voice and people would easily be able to be like oh people don't care about Irish anymore get rid of that absolutely whereas you can't when all of this is there absolutely because you're not going to run a story in a newspaper every month about what's happening in the Irish language you know in, in, an, in an English medium newspaper you know like yeah. you know RT is not going to put out a news piece about oh here's what Irish speakers are doing today you know because it wouldn't make sense they wouldn't make any money off that no one would really watch that anyway now it is it, I'm kind of between the two minds whether it's a good thing that you know Irish people we can we can Irish speakers can defend ourselves on Twitter and things like that because it does get a bit monotonous you know when when certain news sites put up the same article you know Mm. every two or three weeks why should we you know keep speaking Irish or you know is the Irish language dying or should Irish be compulsory in schools or should it be a choice subject and then you it's have it's like should you be asking these questions yeah <laughs> like, should, like, should you be trying to hold a debate on this yeah thing? That's and not, at the end of the debate. day yeah and at the end of the day the, the group publishing it don't really care they don't care about the answer they don't care if everyone votes okay if everyone decides okay yeah we should all keep Irish or no actually let's just let it die and let's not put any more effort into it they don't care about the answer to that they just want clicks but, but like, like we were saying earlier on, it's the exact same as how they treat other marginalised groups. Absolutely. And like smaller groups and smaller communities where they just are like, well, we can just talk about these people however we want because they're yeah. not like a massive community. Absolutely. And it's the same. It's the same with any group. It's the same with, you know, the queer community. It's the same with, you know, refugees. It's the same with, you know, say travellers. You know, if there's any sort of marginalised group in kind of the public eye, there will always be a debate as to whether they should exist. And that's, you know, what, you know, as or a debate as to how valid they are or, you know, their rights and things like that as well. Um, so that's one of the downsides of social media in that. And it can it can get a bit disheartening for our speakers in that, like, there's so many people whose minds you're not going to change, no matter how, no matter, no matter how much you, you fight on Twitter with people or debate, you know, with, you know, an egg on Twitter, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to change their mind and they're, you know, they're going to go live their lives. Because at, at the end of the day, it's not debate. Yeah, it's not debate at all. Yeah. It's just kind of people yelling at each other being like, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. And that's, you know, that's, that's all it is really. Um, so that's one of the downsides of social media. But at the same time, like if you look at it, I suppose we have this vibrant group of, of especially young people now. And I think that really started with um, the Clash Lurgan videos back in 2013. Like that was when I was in fifth year. And I remember seeing those videos and I was like, this is amazing. Like, you know, that these are getting like 1 million, 2 million, 3 million hits on YouTube. And they're singing in Irish. And I was like, that like, to, my mind was blown at that. And it still is. Like, I think we forget how, how big that was. Like, you know, when they did Avicii the first time that got, I think, 5 million hits or whatever. Because that's the thing, because it's people who maybe don't think about it that much, but then when they see it, are so happy to see Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it is it is a thing that, like, I, like as a as a country, like, I, I don't think that the majority of the people in this country hate Irish. I don't think that. Even when people say, like, you know, it shouldn't be taught in schools. 
I, I, not that I don't believe them, but I just kind of think, okay, there's more to that than them just not wanting to speak Irish or them having had a bad teacher. Because when you look at things like when you diff- look at different campaigns and stuff, even say for for marriage equality, like make raw the law, like and people went went around with their with their tall badges, and even with their with the referendum last year, you know, we had Ashgar and we had people with their tall tall badges. Mm-hmm. You know, people do like Irish. People do, they like having that little bit of you know, okay, right, this is this is us as a nation, like this is our this is ours, of, yeah. this is ours, yeah, 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 you know, and this is something we can show off to the rest of the world, like, and they're not going to get it, and it, it is something special about us. Um, yeah, and but, it's great for us when you're on holidays and you want to gossip about people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. yeah, and I suppose just even like the fact that you know it's kind of like a shared nostalgia almost Absolutely, like you yeah. know even just you know if you say I'm with Cadigan Dolgody and Leherist to anyone you know they're just like oh throwback like yeah. it's, it's nice yeah. like to have the whole nation have that common ground Absolutely, which is yeah. nearly kind of getting rarer and rarer where kind of Irish gets a lot of you know grief from people that can't speak Irish they're directing their, their kind of frustration at the wrong people you know instead of directing it at the government who should be you know changing the way it's taught or whatever or you know that should be giving more money towards the language people are blaming Irish speakers that are going about their business trying to promote the language and trying to do their best but people tend to blame them and see yeah. them as oh well I can give out to you on Twitter I can't give out to you know Joe McHugh or I can't give out to Leo Vodka on Twitter because he's not going to read it but I can give out to you specifically because you'll read it and you'll reply and you'll give me kind of a bit of a debate um, yeah and I suppose um, I kind of think it's interesting as well the parallels between the experiences of the Irish language community and like the queer community mm-hmm. and I suppose you are as a queer Irish speaker you've experienced both of those yeah absolutely so um well yeah because I I what I call myself a baby gay in that I only came out in uh February uh, as bisexual well fully in February so I came out to my friends probably in October uh, and then to my parents and then kind of just didn't really I kind of stopped coming out to people I just kind of was like well I'm just gonna post about it on Instagram all the time <laughs> if people want if people take from that what you will um so yeah definitely and I suppose because I came out so late um I was never really in kind of queer spaces up up until now um so it's 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 still a learning process for me I think especially um having run for USI and kind of that's obviously a very big you know queer space and you know very inclusive and things like that and kind of learning the I suppose um kind of inclusive language and things like that and that's something that I'm still getting used to myself um, but it's definitely yeah the link between the, kind of the queer community and the Irish community is it's it's stronger than people think it is. Um, like I said earlier with the the marriage equality referendum, you know people were kind of you know make or make raw the law and you know things like that. And um, I saw a guy with a t shirt said like Atney and queer og queer og Ella, <laughs> um, which I thought was brilliant. Like and that was before that was kind of before I'd kind of commit myself anyway. But I still thought that was that was really cool. But it's definitely yeah like like you were saying earlier um about kind of marginalized groups definitely have that common ground especially on social media things like that like as long as you are not kind of a straight white male or you know even even a straight white female if you're not one of those you know you'll always have kind of people that will tell you okay you're not valid because I don't want you to be mm-hmm. uh, so you'll always have people like as I said you'll always have say non-Irish speakers who have no intention of ever learning Irish that never want to get involved in Irish and that's fine you know I'm not here to judge but they will always kind of say oh well like why should we you know why should we give them what they want you know you know they're just trying to it shouldn't be forced on us absolutely much yeah. like <laughs> yeah, yeah you know shouldn't be forced on us or whatever you know um and the same with the queer community as well you know oh but like especially with the marriage with the the you know marriage quality referendums like oh but like you know it's wrong or whatever but it's like it doesn't affect you so why like why are you getting so kind of antsy about it and so you'll always have as i said you'll always have like the man telling you okay no you you don't deserve your rights or you don't you know this is a waste of time like you know why can't everyone just be like me and be perfect and we'll all be happy and it's like well no that's not how it works actually john that just reminded me of this conversation i had with my mom recently where she asked me um why she just said she noticed like amongst my friends and amongst other people she knew that there was a high rate of Irish speakers in the queer community Mm -hmm. and then I was kind of thinking about it and there probably is a link because it's that like really like trying to find an identity absolutely and trying to like find a culture and a community yeah it's probably why because I do actually know a lot of queer people who've like like you learned Irish themselves independently just because they really feel that like connection with the culture and yeah absolutely and even like so um, there's kind of like uh, an Irish language kind of branch of pride and things like that. People from both communities have a lot of empathy with each other and then people that are part of both communities definitely feel, um, you know, that they're understood on both sides, you know. One thing I thought kind of represented how 
the Irish community is very like has solidarity with the queer community was the folklore Achuk. Yeah, the folklore Achuk. That right yeah, yet? yeah, absolutely. Um, so on folklore Achuk or um the queer dictionary was published by USI two years ago. Um, and Leisha Ni Kristela, so she was the VP for Irish at the time. So that was something that she put together. Um, and she worked with yeah USI and Belong and the Transgender Equality Network in Ireland. So they worked to put together this dictionary and the main kind of idea behind it was that like, you know, you should be able to identify yourself in your national language, you know, if you're if you identify as a as a man or a woman or if you're trans or non binary or anything like that. If you are you know, if you if you, you know, want to be able to express yourself in Irish and express your identity, you should have the right to do that and you should also have the words to do that as well yeah. um, so. at, the, at the same time if Irish wants to keep going it needs to also evolve oh, as a language absolutely yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and a lot of it's because it's, it's funny you mentioned that because like a lot of words in Irish are and a lot of phrases are based on like religion and things like that so even Dígwich is like God yeah. be with you and things like that as well and Giusmura and all that kind of thing so it is definitely something that Irish needs to be able to adapt to yeah and like I remember as well when I read that thing I was really surprised to see like even the Irish word for lesbian is lesbiak, is lesbiak, it? Lesbiak, yeah. And I remember, like, I looked at it and for some reason in my head, I'd been convinced that the Irish for lesbian was Lowerlin. And <laughs> if you'd asked me, I'd be like, oh yeah, it's like Lowerlin. <laughs> I don't know, I just, in my head, I don't know. Oh, I mean, I, I, I feel there is a high rate of lesbian librarians. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah that's, that's wife goals right there, just finding a lesbian librarian. <laughs> With Irish, that's the Oh dream. yeah, <laughs> peak, peak. But like, it was only when I saw it written down, I was like, oh yeah, there actually is a real word for that, not yeah. just some weird like, yeah, something made associated. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and like that, like you would expect, and something I suppose even I would expect, it was like a lot of the words are just going to be the English version but with a fada thrown on or you yeah. know like gay Foam. will be G-E fada instead of you know which is Eirach which comes from like it means the same in, in English and that Eirach is kind of like you know someone that's, ha- that's happy as well so that's what it means in, in Irish as well um, but a I lot really of the really words I like that word actually Eirach yeah. yeah I really like it as well and um, it's, also, like, it's also so close to Eirach which is Eirach yeah actually I never thought of that <laughs> amazing <laughs> Um, so yeah even so there's like a lot of words in this that even I like wouldn't even have thought of um, as not that I wouldn't have thought of them having been needed but I just never would have thought of them so even like um, so I'll just go through some of them here so lesbian is lesbiach uh, gay is eirach bisexual is jaganesach uh, transgender is tras inchknach queer then is achuk so then we have like questioning is keshtach intersex uh, idrganesh pansexual panganesach uh, two spirit ga, da animal no gan ganes and then asexual then is a ganes and things and things like that as well so they're kind of like the main kind of labels that, that people I suppose people that aren't in the community would kind of expect to be in the community but then there are other words so ally then is koguli so I think that that's a really nice word um, by curious then is da israch by gender da inchknach um, by phobia da phobia gender cues legina inchkina uh, gender diversity, ilkanolic, internet, so things like that. So it is. It's a very kind of comprehensive dictionary. So yeah. um, it is really good. And in fairness, like it's 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 not something that you would have been able to publish, you know, five and, ten, um, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's nice as well because like it doesn't feel natural when they just kind of have like a put a couple of fadas on like the English word. Like I remember yeah. like homogenesic was the one we learned yeah. in school, and like it's just it does. No one says homosexual in yeah. English, you know that kind of way. So Absolutely. it's nice to have something that's a bit more. Yeah, natural. so that was kind of one of the main ideas yeah. was to like not have it be so medical, and mm-hmm. that was the, the thing with homosexual as well. Like you know that's it's just it just sounds like such a medical term as if like you know as if as if it's like a disease or something like that. Yeah. But with kind of things like air, okay, that comes from like okay, so gay air. It, it was more colloquial in its origins anyway. Um, it was kind of a more informal way of saying it. So. So that's kind of the the one they picked kind of to use more informally in Irish. Yeah. It's really nice to see as well because um obviously like labels have been so important in the LGBT community and finding your identity. And I'd say that that can be really hard for native Irish speakers who are also somewhere on the LGBT spectrum mm-hmm. trying to like connect their identity, but then having to do it through English. Yeah. So to exactly. have like to, I'd say like just in finding their identity and feeling comfortable in it is probably easier in their own language. Yeah, absolutely. And even a lot of times, like I would find myself. A lot of my times, even not even about, you know, kind of like being bi or anything like that, but a lot of my friends, if if I'm going through like, you know, problems or whatever, a lot of the times I find it easier to talk about it in Irish because there's so many, there's just so many, I find my Irish now is probably not better than my English, but I'd probably nearly be more comfortable talking about something quite serious in Irish than I would be in English because 
I suppose I spent the last kind of five years studying also, Irish. Also, the dramatics of Irish phrases are incredible Absolutely, for those right. conversations. But <laughs> if you if you're talking about like mental health there and stuff like that, like there's so many different ways in Irish to say you're sad, <laughs> which is like, which is okay. It's not great, but also like at least you have that kind of variation there. And you know, I I find that yeah, a lot of the times like I would feel probably more comfortable, especially with some of my friends. Like some of my friends I don't speak English to, so it was actually some of my closest friends. So it, w- it would be more natural for me to talk to them about something kind of if you know say when I was coming out and things like that actually I think I remember I came into most of my friends in Shona Gaelica I did it in Irish like so things like that were so words like that were really important for me to have and to be able to say okay guys like so so, so tell me you know Jake and Ace like no whatever um, and even when people come in um, even if there's there's a couple of non-binary students that come into the Shona Gaelica and on Fuckler we have a paper copy of it sitting you know kind of and they they kind of see it and they're going like oh my god like, I didn't know that there, that there was words for all these so it's it definitely links the two. It kind of shows how inclusive kind of Irish speakers can be, even though there's that perception that they're really that they're not. Yeah. Um, even um, though even when it's a small majority of people that aren't. Yeah, that's actually a point as well because I know a lot of people who are very like sticklers for language, mm-hmm. like in English anyway, have a big issue with like using they them pronouns and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, saying like oh, it's like against linguistic rules. Like, mm-hmm. is there any of that snobbery in Irish, or is it more not really? Oh. Like, because even the first things in on Fuckleratuk is pronouns. So it's like okay, he like a a or she, and then or like so he him, and then she her. Then it's just issue or she or whatever. So they're the first things that are in that are in the dictionary are are your pronouns, and then eat or um uh yeah, so she or eat. Um, I don't think there is to be honest I don't think it's something that um, I suppose it's just not something that's kind of the general Irish language community are I suppose aware of mm. um, I suppose because a lot of them are, would be would be older um, in that sense so maybe they're just not as in tune with it um, in terms of linguistics no I think I think you can use either the you know it's the same as in English you can use either or Oh, okay, so there's no resistance to these new words at all within the community. I wouldn't, then, I wouldn't yeah. say like at all. I'd say it's it's just an individual. I suppose it depends on the individual. Like I suppose it depends on kind of people's like how. I, I think it, it depends on how in tune they are with the concept of using pronouns that you know you weren't given at birth. I think that's yeah. more. I think they think there'd be more conflict with that than with the language itself. I think if there's any conflict, it would be just that kind of the the basic concept of you know different pronouns. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning as well that because of Irish's history it's quite a fluid language mm-hmm. it's it's all like it's always been changing and kind of stuff like that and like we were saying there's so many different types of dialects that I wouldn't think that would be as big of an issue or people wouldn't have as maybe as much of a platform to say that than they as they do in English it's always been changing and, and it will it will continue to change because the English language is always changing as well like if you think of like words that didn't exist like okay the word lit I don't know how that came into English <laughs> but it's here now it's here to stay and it's not going anywhere and fam and not, like the, I despise those words in English but they're here like you know they are they have come about um, would the, the Irish for lit be erlasa like on fire lasta yeah lasta lasta ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really prefer to say tasha lasta than to say it's lit it sounds yeah. nicer yeah tasha yeah. lasta yeah this is probably a bad example but I just keep thinking um, whenever my mum didn't want to uh, say arse she'd say oris and uctoron so she's like <laughs> such a pain in the oris and uctoron that was like uh, the word for however is awful so I just if, if, if ever you said like oh fuck and then Mohammed like clean it I was like I don't know what's Irish I was saying however I was just continuing my thought <laughs> or, or yeah in school when people like drop something or wanted to swear they'd say folklore yeah oh, right. <laughs> that's that's mother folklore like that's yeah. where that 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 comes from uh, which is really clever yeah. um. Yeah, yeah. It's like, see, it's easy to see how the two languages can coexist. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, I just kind of finish with any other points to add or anything like that. Yeah, is there anything you want to plug? Anything <laughs> I want to plug. Oh, yeah, sorry. Gael Gals. <laughs> that's the whole reason oh. I'm here. Yeah, that we never, just... <laughs> never. Yeah, so uh, me and my friends currently run an Instagram account called Gael Gals. Um, and it's, like, we don't really take it too seriously. There's about seven of us and we just kind of talk about different things in Irish. So I tend to talk about, like, kind of, like, sport and, you know, different things, you know, a bit of things my... my job at USI um, some of the girls do like makeup tutorials one of the girls does gardening uh, some of the girls are going to Indian Air for the summer so if you want to just have a look at that and give us a little follow that'd be great um, yeah so Gwail Gals on, on Instagram lovely yeah um, so I guess that's it for this episode um, our lovely guest has been Cleena Nee Guffey yeah, got it right. Yeah, you got yeah. It right. <laughs> my Irish is very rusty, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I'm getting inspired to brush yeah, up again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm Orla Kivni. I'm Emily O'Connell, and this has been In All of Mana Lesbian Plus podcast. Uh, thanks for listening.